0: Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you, so let's do this together. One of my favorite places to go to is an antique store. There's something about walking around in a dusty space like that and seeing all the many odd unique items for sale. There's something special and different about the fact that everything in there is used Unlike other stores where the items are brand new and you're the first to use them, that isn't the case at an antique store. And the thing that most fascinates me is that every item has a story behind it. Old military uniforms, boxes of photos, jewelry, old books, a wedding dress, china and tableware, vinyl records, furniture. I can't tell you how many times I've walked through antique stores and wondered what the stories were behind all these things. Why did someone get rid of them? Who used them? Where had they previously been? I've always been lured by the power of a good story. Ever since I was a child, I loved researching and learning about the stories behind people, places, and things. Whether it was reading biographies as a kid and finding out about the personal lives of composers, inventors, war heroes, and statesmen. Whether it was going through old family pictures and asking about family heirlooms whether it was perusing antique stores and wondering why anyone didn't explore the history behind all of the things that were for sale, I never turned down a chance to discover another great story. As the years have passed and the story of my own life has played out and weaved with the stories of others, I've come to realize that we're all a bit like the things in antique stores. We all bring our own histories to the table, our own success and achievements, our own insecurities, our own losses and hurts, our own strengths and weaknesses. We've all been somewhere. However, just like the items in the dusty antique store, we often hide our stories and let them remain deep mysteries to one another. We often gather dust, waiting for someone to discover us for who we really are and tell us our story is worth sharing. If I'm really honest with you, as much as I've shared on this podcast so far and also on my blog and social media, I still feel a bit of a hidden story to others. Perhaps you feel that way too. Today we're gonna talk about embracing your story and how God doesn't want any of us to keep our life's narrative to ourselves. We are meant to be shared with one another. And sometimes that means someone has to bring us back to life a bit, restore us, put us back to use. Someone needs to purchase us and give us a home, a safe place to be ourselves and feel like our story is worth sharing. This is going to be a valuable episode in helping us find a place for our past hurts and learn to move forward in hope. So let's get started. I'm probably more in love with stories now than I've ever been before in my life, and that's saying a lot. Stories fascinate me. They inspire me. They help me learn and grow. But the one story I just can't seem to make sense of or embrace is my own. Maybe you feel me on this one, friend. For all my passion to help other people discover the beauty, uniqueness, and power of the chapters that make up who they are, I'm always prone to miss that in my own narrative. It's easy to point out the survival of others, and easy to miss my own. I'm quick to note the strength and faith of others in their challenges, but slow to see it in myself. How I view the stories of others and how I view my own seem to be two different things, and somehow I think this is a bit typical for all of us. How we view the stories of those around us, and how we look at our own can sometimes appear contrary to one another, but how we see and embrace or reject our own life story is critical to the person we become through it. Two experiences in my life have shaped how I view the power of personal story. Namely, my years of working as a volunteer within the military community and also my experience of exploring my own ancestral history. For 10 years, I had the privilege of spending a lot of time around the military community during the height of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Spanning a decade, I grew up around some pretty incredible and brave individuals who taught me the value of sacrifice, love, brotherhood, courage, and loyalty. And boy, did I ever hear stories. In my estimation, you haven't really heard a real story until you've heard the story of a veteran or service member. There's something about a person telling you of the lengths they or their fellow comrades will go to in order to do the right thing, to take care of each other and to accomplish the mission, all because they love their country. And especially because only a few have ever lived that experience themselves, many struggle to tell their stories for fear of being misunderstood, and many of us struggle to understand and fully relate to the chapters written into these brave people's lives by wartime. Part of what I did during my time around these soldiers, Marines, airmen, and sailors was to help them see the value in their stories, to help others learn to give them a chance to share the experiences that forever changed them, even if it was hard to listen to or understand. A story is a story, however unique. What fascinated me most about getting these guys to talk was that often the ones who were the most comfortable sharing were the ones who endured the deepest wounds. Sometimes it was easier for the ones who had been injured to talk about wounds the people could see than it was for those whose scars were hidden. But I heard incredible stories from both, and those stories made me feel like I somehow identified with the pain they had gone through. After all, I knew what it was like to be wounded too. I knew what it was like to carry scars. My story vastly differed from theirs, but the effect on the human heart was still the same. Hearing the stories of these men somehow broke the walls inside me that I built up when it came to telling my own. There was Jason, whom I met in the airport a couple years ago, that minutes after me striking up a conversation with him, launched into the tale of how he'd lost his leg and a finger and had his eardrums blown out when he stepped on an improvised explosive device that terrorists had buried in the ground. He later became the first Marine amputee to ever return to combat following his injuries. There was the young man named Matt, who was only a brief few months removed from losing a leg himself, but was out competing in an adaptive sports event for veterans, winning multiple swimming medals while there. There was Jordan, who pulled up his sleeve to show me the scars on his arm where shrapnel had permanently embedded his skin and told me he was proud of his wounds because they were proof he had done his job and defended his nation's freedom. There was Kevin, who I had lunch with one time, that talked about how he lost most of his hearing and suffered other near-fatal injuries, but how the wounded ones have learned how to see life in a fresh way. The scars are only proof you survived. There's something moving about being in the presence of someone who has seen the worst, but still tells you life is worth living anyway. Every one of the stories I heard from these people shaped me, but the one that by far shaped me the most was that of a young Marine named Alex. Alex and I met over the phone while I made one of my many calls over 10 years' time to the National Naval Medical Center, Bethesda. This hospital in Maryland was the epicenter of treatment for the most severely injured coming back from the Middle East. Once the wounded were given emergency stabilization on the front lines and field hospitals, they often were sent to Germany, where U.S. military doctors and medical personnel would provide further stabilization if necessary before medevac'ing the injured to Bethesda for their recovery. In time, they would eventually end up at Walter Reed Army Medical Center for rehab and further treatment. At Bethesda, the military staff there saw the worst that war could offer, and a small office there at the hospital functioned as an essential part of the treatment process. It was not staffed by doctors or nurses, but by a few Marines who provided vital assistance to families and the community regarding paperwork and red tape, moral support, travel arrangements, and numerous other complications that the injured were unable to deal with themselves. This liaison office and its staff are unsung heroes of the military nobody knows about, but without them Bethesda and the military at large would not function. Alex was one of them. The story of my eventual friendship with this Marine is a long one and far too detailed to relate in full in this episode, but the first time I spoke to him over the phone, I was honestly surprised at the level of his honesty You see, nearly four years earlier, I'd been involved with helping some Marine Reservists in my community transition home after a harrowing deployment. A series of divine appointments had allowed me the opportunity to welcome these brave but emotionally spent young men home and be part of their adjustment process as they melded back into society. Reservists, unlike active duty personnel, don't serve full-time. They put in monthly required training, but most have civilian jobs or schooling that they do aside from their military commitment. These young men were college students and employees in the community, most of them under 25 years of age. For guys so young, they had gone through a lot. Those of us privileged to be there for them tried to love them and do all we could to help them find their way back into life here at home. But death struck their unit multiple times. Several Marines they had been deployed with never made it home, including one they loved dearly named Grant. A year after their return, one of the ones that came home with them, and who I was honored to be around a bit, Sadly, paid the ultimate sacrifice himself. His name was Michael. We all grieved together. I had worked with Bethesda a lot during my volunteer years, getting moral support into the injured through cards and letter drives, and the liaison office had been tremendously helpful to me in making that happen. Alex was just another assistant in that for all I knew. But just as the conversation was ending and I had gotten the information I'd called about, he asked me a question. Knowing I was from Alaska and worked with military personnel, he asked if I knew anyone in the Marine Reserve unit. I couldn't believe it. He had served in the very same unit and been deployed with those guys during that harrowing summer of 2005. When I confirmed that I knew them and began to rattle off some names, he asked me if I knew a couple of specific people. One was Grant and the other was Michael. I knew Grant's mom as well as many of the people who served with him and had personal memories of Mike also. When I told him that, Alex launched into the story of how Grant had died, began to tell me about his time serving with Michael. I was a stranger to him, but he wasn't afraid to let me hear the stories. Even after years of knowing guys from the same unit, nobody was at a point where they wanted to talk. Everyone just wanted to move on. I understood why, and really never asked. But here, a young Marine who'd been with them, knew the power of story and wanted to share. Over the next six years, we developed a very close friendship with one another. It survived another deployment during which he almost lost his own life. It survived the dark days of traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress. It survived the pain of his divorce and the uncertainty of navigating life outside of the military. And all along the way, I listened to the stories. Learned about Christopher and Andy, Grant, Michael, and so many others. Learned to appreciate their lives and their own stories even though they were now gone. They still lived on in Alex's heart, and eventually they began to live in mine. He wrote about them in college essays and asked me to edit them for him. He would call on anniversaries of their passing and we would talk about them. Through his openness and vulnerability, I found myself more and more believing in the necessity of telling our stories to one another, in the importance of not letting our journeys go to waste. We don't just travel the roads we do for ourselves, we do it also for one another. Alex exemplified that. His fallen friends did, too. On May 21, 2019, I found out that Alex, whom I had strangely not heard from in some years, died suddenly of a heart attack at age 31 in December of 2015. Only 10 months earlier, I had finally gotten the chance to fly down to Texas to meet him in person for the first time. We had spent three of the happiest days of our lives together, enjoying each other's company and sharing stories, blending stories, because now in friendship we were part of one another's narratives. Now, in the blink of an eye, nearly four years later, my dear friend was gone. And so were the stories. Whatever stories I could recall or had written down, whatever memories were saved in his school papers, were all I had left. Whatever stories weren't told, never would be. And suddenly, I realized that just as he had felt an obligation to tell the stories of the ones he knew who could no longer tell their own, I now had the same burden placed on me. Alex's voice may be silent, but his story can still live on, and so can those of the people he made me come to appreciate and love. Along with the many others I've met who chose to bravely serve their country, Alex showed me that telling your story matters. You don't know how long you'll have to share it yourself, and when you choose to tell it, you enlarge the space in which it can live on. Once you're gone, people don't just remember you, but they remember what you said, what you did. They remember what you survived. Besides my experiences working with military personnel, there was another personal thing that forever changed how I began to look at the importance of my story, and that was digging into the ancestral history of my family. Several years back, a distant cousin of mine did some research on my maternal family line, coming up with some fascinating information along the way. He was unable to continue the research as life was getting too busy for him, so he asked if I wanted to keep on digging. I've always been a history nerd, so I was more than excited to take his existing information and find out more. Using a variety of resources, I discovered so many fascinating details about my ancestors and their lives. I found a kindred spirit in my five-times great-uncle, Eliza Goodrich, with his love of books and theology. I found a mutual lover of music in Sir John Wright, who back in the late 1500s was a neighbor to one of England's most prolific composers, William Byrd. I found a love of words in my ancestor Chauncey Goodrich, who was married to Noah Webster's daughter and helped to edit the first Webster Dictionary. I found a love of country and freedom in my ancestors who fought for American independence and a love of family and the generational stability of marriage through the centuries. Somehow, in digging through the annals of history and finding out about my past and the heritage that makes up who I am, I realized that I am the product of the prayers, investment, knowledge and beliefs of centuries of noble and good people. I am the fruit of their courage and the inheritor of their passion and their faith. Knowing where I come from puts so much into context regarding interests I have or things I believe in. Certain choices or actions I've taken in my life didn't seem so out of place anymore because I discovered others had made similar ones in their own time and their own way. Seeing this one line of my family stretch all the way back into the 700s in Britain Finding pictures of ancestral homes still standing both here in America and in England gave me a sense of belonging, helped me to better grasp the story of me. I am not just one person in my own space and time living the one life I've chosen to live. Rather, I am the recipient of countless generations of choices, values, and investment. I am connected to my heritage and my story is more than just about me. Having this context suddenly helped me to fall more in love with the chapters that have made up my life. Understanding and learning about the chapters that were written before, of the decisions people made or the things they valued and the type of people they were, all this helped me to see that I was just the latest addition in a long line of connected narratives. Just like the antique store, I felt as though, in dusting off the stories of my ancestry, I was, in a way, dusting off my own. I never thought I'd feel such a sense of connection to people I'd never met. In recent years, there has become a growing fascination with ancestral discovery. With resources like Ancestry.com and DNA testing, people now have greater access than ever to finding out who they are, where they came from, and who they belong to. Numerous individuals have rediscovered family connections, found lost relatives, and experienced a personal tie with history because of the latest advances in research in this area. But along the way, this has also meant that many family secrets that people intended to keep forever hidden have popped up as well. Things have come to light that generations tried to conceal and hoped posterity would forget. Perhaps we all have a bit of ourselves that we wish humanity would never know. Perhaps we feel it's a bit too painful or too shameful to tell. Even as we feel the tension of wanting to be an understood story, we also struggle with the fear of what might happen if others found out. We wrestle with the reality that exposure just might be too risky, and we take the safe route, assuming it's better to just not start down that road after all. And yet, Maya Angelou wasn't wrong when she noted that the greatest agony was bearing an untold story inside of you. In our worry over what might happen if our story were to come to light, we add to the already existent pain by stifling the emotions, thoughts, and truth about who we are and where we've been. It is its own kind of agony. Author Paul Young put it well when he said, Every human being has a story, and a lot of our story is fiction. That is, the events are certain things, but they've been cast inside of our perspective. But for all the people from whom we can conceal our journey, there is one from whom nothing can be hidden. Even as we struggle with what we want to allow others to see inside of us, there is one whose eyes see it all already, whose vision views us clearer than we view ourselves one who gave the ultimate act of love to set our stories free. When Christ died on the cross, that was his way of showing us that our stories, however painful, our mistakes, however shameful, our pasts, however hidden, didn't have to have the final word. We do not have to remain prisoners to our own narratives. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ gave our stories the hope of a redemptive end, that all our suffering, all our sin can be turned for good, that the chapters we've lived can one day culminate in a triumphant close. Understanding this and living this out in daily life gives us the freedom to share our stories without fear of judgment, criticism, or shame. Regardless of the responses of others to our past, knowing that we have forgiveness and redemption through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus allows us to be an open book, to have our chapters read and not to be ashamed. This doesn't mean that we don't regret things in our past, or that the pain of our journeys doesn't remain with us emotionally to some extent, but we move forward in hope, knowing that our stories have the power to be used by God for His glory. What becomes of our narratives lies in His hands. The wounded warriors I've met taught me the significance of an alive day, the day that could have spelled the end of you, but didn't, the day that you could have died, but instead survived. They taught me the value of looking at defining moments in your story and spinning hope from them instead of pain, seeing scars as reminders of what you lived through instead of what you lost, taking the worst things and considering them the best things because of what they taught you and who you became because of them. They taught me the importance of second chances, that perhaps you don't fully know how to live until you've tasted the feeling of what it's like to die, in your body and in your soul. Perhaps you don't know what it's like to really love unless you've experienced what it's like to lose. Getting a second lease on life allows these brave individuals to risk, to fail, to attempt great things, to love openly and live vulnerably because they know that life is a gift, a gift that can quickly be taken away. They know that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. The sudden deaths of their friends or the near-fatal incidents that cause their own injuries has taught them that you can't count on having an indefinite amount of time to say the things you want to or tell the story you should. Today, in this moment, is all you've got. The same is true for each one of us. We may not have stared down death in a war zone, but at some point we will sleep in the grave as do our ancestors, leaving a story to be discovered at a later time. Perhaps in concealing it, we're robbing many lives of the chance to be inspired or at least warned. Perhaps limiting the reach our one life can have on countless others, simply because we're too afraid to use our voice and speak too proud to be honest, too shamed to be vulnerable. We're all like the items in the antique store, with journeys as unique as ourselves. We're all a narrative from which humanity can learn, however difficult, and we each have the ability to help one another set our stories free. By being the hands and feet of Jesus to each other, we have the ability to dust one another off and say, I want to help you come alive again. I want to give you a safe place to belong. I want you to rediscover home in my heart and in your Heavenly Fathers. The Christian band 10th Avenue North released a song some time ago titled Secrets. This song came to be very meaningful to me as it so well explained my own journey of coming to terms with the painful chapters of my story. The words begin, Haven't we all loved things in the darkness? Haven't we all lied if we're honest? We cheat and cover up to protect what people think of us but we end up hostage to all our secrets. It goes on to say, We're not a lost cause. We're not unlovable, because He takes the broken and makes them beautiful. There may be pain, there may be consequence, but we know we don't have to stand condemned, because He came to free us from all our secrets. So let the light shine in, and let the light shine in. Our God chased us all down into death to lift us out of the shame we live in. So let the light shine in. Friend, your story matters. My story matters. Every single one of us has been placed on this earth for a reason and can allow our story to speak. We don't need to write a book or start a blog or have a podcast or do interviews on TV. Sometimes telling your story just looks like confiding in a trusted friend and saying, there's something I need to tell you about myself. I don't share this, but I need to. Sometimes it looks like meeting another hurting individual where they're at and relating to them and saying, I've been through some challenging things too. You're not alone. Sometimes seeing the vulnerability of others unlocks us to feel safe doing the same. And just maybe we're standing on the precipice of something great God wants to use us for if we simply let him take our chapters and show them to the world. Not to show what we can do, but what he can do. He is, as Hebrews twelve two says, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's good to let the light in, friend. It's okay to let someone give your story a home. You have your own share of alive days to talk about, scars to show for others to learn from, opportunities to let your narrative change the world one life at a time. Don't be a hostage to your secrets. God can use even the worst journey to bring him glory. And your chapters, however hard, can still be the pages that record his faithfulness. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www. Dot graceopens.blockspot.com You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at Open to Grace 2015 Instagram and Parlor at Open to Grace Alaska and on MeWe under my name, Catherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are.